0: Today, we have a very special guest with us again, is Tim Plowden.
1: <laughs> welcome, Tim. Hi,
2: thank
3: you
0: very much. Tim is a wildlife photographer, videographer, and author of Wildlife, Conservation, and Travel Narratives.
3: Yeah, yeah. so um, welcome, Tim, for joining us on the show today. So um, maybe just very quickly, you'd like to introduce yourself to our audience on the podcast?
1: Yeah. Sure. Hi, I'm Tim. Uh, I've been doing wildlife photography professionally for about six years now. Uh, it's kind of led into doing other things like conservation filmmaking mm. and writing about uh, wildlife photography and some of my experiences in the field as well where I've encountered illegal activity and work with conservationists. So um, that's basically it in a nutshell.
3: How do you actually start your um, wildlife photographer, um, I would say photography career in that sense? Is it you study up as a kid or, you know, how yeah. does it all come about?
1: So basically, I mean, I've uh, always been interested in the outdoors and wildlife. I think the uh, mm. luxury of having an, a father who was a really outdoorsy, he used mm. to be a farmer and then a geography teacher. Oh, wow. So we would always we lived on the edge of this area of outstanding natural mm. beauty as well called the Chilterns just outside London. Mm. So we'd always go for family walks and he would always be interpreting the landscape and what he saw and his sharing his knowledge of the outdoors with us as a family. So we've all... You know, benefited mm. from his knowledge and some of my family have gone into those kind of outdoorsy careers as well. One of mm. my brothers is in conservation, for example. Uh, so that kind of triggered, uh, I guess, a series of interests and opportunities. Uh, primary school as well, junior mm. school, we had uh, a conservation corner. Mm. So I got involved in that. And I volunteered for that and that was great. I got into bird watching when I was quite young and Uh, That exposed me, I guess, to beautiful wildlife photography images, um, bird bird photography images from some of the UK Mm. professionals at a young age. And then I I guess as a teenager, I kind of got interested in things that teenagers get interested in. And then later on in life, Mm -hmm. uh, I got back into conservation. And at the same time as doing conservation work, I was doing some photography, wildlife photography. So there's always been this kind of two tracks I've Mm. kind of been interested in. One is conservation, Mm. and then the other is like the creative side wildlife photography. And they they help each other. And um, so basically when I was uh, doing conservation work, I learned about wildlife behavior, which is really important as a wildlife Mm. photographer. You Mm. need to be able to understand wildlife behavior. And I think that's kind of like when I decided I wanted to be a wildlife photographer Mm. rather than be a conservation worker. Mm. I decided that wildlife photography was the thing for me.
3: Right.
0: Because
1: I could still spend plenty of time outdoors observing wildlife Mm -hmm. and um, try and sort of develop certain skills.
0: But have you been a freelancer? I mean, you know, during your journey as a wildlife photographer? Or have you been in some part engaged Mm. to the company?
1: So basically, I mean, before I became a full-time photor- yeah. well, like photographer, I was doing mm-hmm. freelance work in mm-hmm. the corporate sector. Uh, mm-hmm. So I've been a freelancer most of my life, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, even mm-hmm. when I was a student, I was you know, doing temp work, mm-hmm. right? So I, non- I understand that kind of economy
2: mm-hmm.
1: and what it takes to, to survive in that mm-hmm. world. And um, yeah, so that's kind of my background is, is basically I'm a freelancer thrown through, and, through mm. and I I love freelancing, I love the benefits it gives you and the opportunities it gives you to to have a skill set which mm. is valued and you get paid for the skills that mm. you have, you know, yeah, and that's yeah. a great feeling that you know mm.
3: So if let's say some of the um you know, some of our young um photographer in Singapore who is actually looking at to start up as a wildlife photographer, mm. what kind of qualification or what kind of advice will you give to them, you know, to start this career?
1: Yeah, it's I don't think there's any one entry point to being a wildlife photographer. I mean mm. some of the people I know back home have, you know, they've been like laborers. You know, some of them they come from a very humble background mm. and that's something that they really want to pursue
2: Mm.
1: others may be coming from a a more academic background Mm. as well so there's no one way
2: Mm.
1: I think the most important thing is to understand the wildlife that you're photographing Mm. to um, understand the tools that you're using the Mm. photography equipment and maybe even be innovative with that as well sometimes that's what can set you apart is using Mm. like new ways of doing things
2: Mm.
1: and then I think thirdly if you're trying to really establish yourself seriously in the mm. profession, then you need to really develop your creative mm. style and have a vision of what, what you want mm. to achieve with your work mm. so mm.
3: So what are some of the preparation that you always do for before your trip to a um, area you know to do your photor- wildlife photography? What kind of preparation would you have in place?
1: Yes yeah, so, uh, I would if I'm working with an organization, for mm. example, then we would uh, plan logistics, so where we're going, where and how long for, mm. it's that kind of stuff, mm. what are we going to photograph or film, mm. uh, who we need to speak to, mm. you know, if we're going to be doing interviews with mm. organisations or uh, individuals in the community, that kind of thing, and then obviously kind of what habitat you're going into, is it mm. uh, tropical rainforest, is it mm. mangrove, or mm. is it, you know, more mountainous, mm. so you need to maybe prepare yourself physically for some mm. of these challenges, I've been... <laughs> And yeah, up the Himalayas in Yunnan a few times, and yeah, there aren't many really footpaths there, and you're kind of like mm. swinging through the trees pretty much. So <laughs> the bamboo groves is yeah, <laughs> entertaining, but um, yeah, so you've got to be uh, you know, physically fit mm. as well. Mm. And so, you know, I do regularly exercise, so it's <laughs> important,
3: <laughs> yeah. I think that's important for every freelancer yeah. as well. Yeah. Health is important, it is,
1: and then you know, if it's a subject, often be traveling somewhere to photograph a subject I've not photographed before or mm. filmed, so you have to try and study a bit mm. about the mm. animal's behavior. Mm. If you're working with an organization who are researching that species, then mm. that really helps because mm. they'll have the local knowledge and knowledge about the species and mm. that will give you opportunities which you may not be able to get in terms of photographing or filming that subject mm. if you went on your own because you wouldn't know where to go and the yeah. animals may be frightened of you but if you're go and work with researchers then Mm. they will have habituated the animals so that's really Mm. you know Mm. that's helpful Um, so yeah I think it's a bit of study logistics Mm. shot list is essential Mm.
3: Um, how about protection what kind of protection would you ensure that you know, so that you will go there with a peace of mind, or oh, your family will go there with a peace of mind too?
1: Mosquito
2: repellent. <laughs> 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 <I don't know. laughs>
1: that's one of the biggest uh, uh, annoyances, I guess, are mosquitoes and mm. leeches. Usually, mm. Mm. those are the worst. I mean, I've I've had uh, socks filled with leeches before. Oh. And that's pretty gross. <sighs> you, know, you take your sock off, and you're <gasps> blood pouring out. Yeah, uh, oh I've never had problems with snakes, you know. Okay. Um, you know I've photographed an, in Alaska with the brown bears there, mm. and you know there. I went to uh, some places where there were like I got a friend actually who's a bear wrangler. They call them so oh, okay. you know in Katmai National Park. So mm. um, they help manage the situation of any sort of bear human conflict Uh, or between you don't want to get stuck between two bears who are are about to fight yeah Yeah. which is a very densely populated bear uh, Mm. area so um, you have to be quite careful and it's quite nerve-wracking and you don't really want to go on your own Mm. uh, walking alone so you usually have to partner up with somebody but you there you do get like um help on terms of, uh, they give you an introduction to bear safety Mm. and stuff like that. Mm. But Before I went to that place, when I was in Alaska, I was in other areas where there were black bears, which are equally, potentially dangerous. Mm. And yes, you just have to use common sense, really. You know, don't run around and (laughs) (laughs) make a noise is a good thing, you know, and walk slowly and look for signs as well, you Mm. know. Like the first time I saw black bears up close, there was... I, was, I saw this salmon carcass and, you know, it gave me an indication that it was, wasn't just... I mean, when you go to Alaska, the salmon carcasses everywhere because mm. they're just salmon runs, but there's one which had been brought out and I could tell that it had been sort of mm. half eaten by a bear and sure enough, over the river
2: mm.
1: or stream, there was a black bear appeared with some of a mm. cub, which is probably right. the most dangerous thing you can encounter. So, fortunately, there was a river between us. Mm. But, yeah, you just have to be really... Uh, Prudent, I think, and mm. you know, not um, antagonize any animals. You know, national parks here are pretty good. Uh, the notices they leave, mm. and say, Pazarus Park, you know, mm. pretty sensible stuff if you follow that kind of uh guidelines about you know, if you encounter a wild boar or mm. uh, an otter, what do you do? And that those kind of things are you know, pretty broad. You can put them apply them to many animals and just don't um, don't stare at them main anything. <laughs> <laughs> eye contact with a wild animal is is pretty bad, so you don't. Oh, do that. okay, yeah. okay, really. Yeah,
3: okay, so I thought if there's eye contact, so that's calmness, you know, no, you kind yeah, of well, same well, as right. children. Don't look yeah. at them. <laughs> 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 yeah, so you could try that with
1: the macaques if yeah. you like. And, uh, yeah, then if you ch- they will charge at you. Yeah, yeah, I've done that. Right.
3: Yeah. So, have mm. you ever encountered really a very dangerous situation during your um, career as a wildlife
1: photographer? Um. Yeah, yeah. Life-threatening.
3: Yeah, potentially. Sense. I
1: had a leopard charge me in Africa. <gasps> yeah, that was oh. quite fun.
3: <laughs> <laughs> How do you get yourself out of the situation?
1: Well, yeah, we're in a. It was eating a uh, an elephant calf. Mm. Oh. Carcass was pretty tragic. Yeah, but it was dry season, so a lot
2: mm. of
1: elephants do suffer then, mm. sadly. And um, what happened was that the the lady next to me wanted mm-hmm. to get a better picture because she wasn't right next to the scene,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I was on the edge of this game viewing vehicle and mm-hmm. uh, getting great shots, obviously. And uh, <laughs>
2: uh,
1: her movement right. is what you're not supposed to do. Okay. So because the
3: sudden
2: movement, yeah, it yeah.
1: completely spooked out the leopard. Right. And the leopard stopped eating, growled, and just charged <sighs> at me because I was the one in the in the line of fire. Unfortunately, the the guy who was driving. Right a very experienced guide, mm. great guy, local, like Botswana guy, and uh, mm. a, he managed to scare off the mm. leopard, which mm. was great because it was only like a few feet away from me. In the end. <laughs> what did he do? Uh, I think he just made some noise. And uh, stuff like that. I mean, okay, I wasn't okay. really paying attention because there was a leopard <laughs> <they were laughs> charging at me. <laughs> uh, but you know, as soon as the right. well, as soon as the leopard snarled, I didn't take any pictures of that. Okay, I knew something was wrong. Okay, so I I, I wanted to make sure the leopard could see me. Right. As well. And I could see the leopard right. rather than sort of the last thing I didn't want the last thing to be a le- picture of a leopard. <laughs> you know. <laughs> charging at me. So <laughs> but I think, you know, those are quite serious. I think in India there's a lot of issues with yeah. mm. leopard human conflict. So right. you've got to be quite careful and they're quite widespread. And they're not you get them in cities and stuff mm. like that, even in Africa. So mm. yeah, they're quite dangerous. Um yeah, I've had some close encounters with snakes, but they usually, you know, they're not too,
2: Mm.
1: you know, I don't really handle them, so they're okay. Mm. Um, I've almost been pounced on by a a horny deer. I don't know if we can say that, but it was in the rutting season back home, and I was using these calls to uh, mimic the sound of a female deer in in, 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 in season, in estrus, as Mm. they say, and it was really effective, and it was (laughs) just... buck just leapt out of the undergrowth and almost you know trampled me so yeah, that was fun
0: I see that you're very focused in your line of work but unfortunately a lot mm. of um, freelance photographers in mm. Singapore they are not able to do that so you know they mm. do like corporate shoots weddings yeah, yeah. and a lot of things like that mm. how important is it for a freelancer to be able to find their, their
1: niche yeah that's a good question I think
0: mm.
1: it's very important I mean you can't you can't really carve out a career unless you are specialized mm-hmm. in that sense. I think, I mean, I've had to fall back on doing some corporate gigs, you mm-hmm. know, particularly as, a, as a parent, mm-hmm. a freelancer, it's, it's really helped. And when I've not really been able to travel in the last couple of years, then that's mm-hmm. really helped doing some work locally. Um, but, yeah, I think you need to make a reputation and, you know... Um, if you don't have that reputation as a specialised, say, wildlife photographer you mm. won't get hired as a wildlife photographer.
2: Mm.
1: You know, you'll always kind of I guess be kind of like juggling your main job with doing some wildlife photography in your spare time, mm. you know, and I think that's
2: mm.
1: that's the challenge I think for some of the guys I know locally, you know, and they, mm. they're doing like say corporate gigs and then when they've got free time they'll be doing some wildlife yeah. photography, yeah. so you know, it doesn't detract from the quality of their work because they're great wildlife photographers it just means it's, it's harder yeah. you know and it's not easy being a wildlife photographer in terms of mm. you know, it's very competitive Everybody, a lot of people want to do it the money isn't great you mm. know opportunities are quite uh limited yeah. as well um mm. uh, the market is definitely there in europe and mm. especially in the mm. uk and mm. in the us um mm. uh but in asia it, it I think there's fewer magazines, there's fewer outlets for this kind of stuff. Mm. Um, But nonetheless, if you want to do, say, conservation, uh, photojournalism, or Mm. conservation filmmaking, then as a professional, you know, in that capacity, then there's opportunity in Asia because there's a lot of work in conservation here. Mm. Um, But that's, you know, that's a slightly different skill set, but nonetheless very necessary Mm. and rewarding as well. It can have a wildlife component, but, um, say, I think a lot of the, say, productions that would get done, say, for wildlife photography, I mean, wildlife filmmaking here would probably involve sort of Western film, you know, cameramen and stuff yeah. like that. They wouldn't really go for local mm. uh, guys. Even, you know, some of the, the productions, I think, for that have been filmed in Singapore about wild Singapore and stuff like that they've been they've used foreign mm. talent, yeah. mm. you know mm. which you know I'm not sure I think is always a good thing I think you know uh, <laughs> I certainly think there's a, there's a lot of tenant here mm. you know and I've I've pushed sometimes situations I have pushed that tenant ahead of me and I don't think it's, r- it's always right to mm. to do you know work when there's local people who can do it
2: right you know
1: That's my own thing, you know. (laughs) I do, but I do, you know. I think, you know, it's a privilege to live in Singapore. Thank you. You know, it is. And you shouldn't always just take all the work from everybody else.
3: (laughs) So having freelancing back in the UK Mm. versus now freelancing in Singapore, Mm. um, do you see the difference in the two places?
1: I started my freelance creative Career here, mm-hmm. mm. so I've only been a, a freelance photographer in the, in Singapore. Mm, okay. but my uh, market, if you like, is the mm. more the UK and Europe, right. and sometimes the US. I see. Uh, so that's that's where I'm coming from. Is like my mm. although my subject material is maybe, particularly the last four or five years, is more Asian specific. Mm. It's getting sold to um, magazines, mm. newspapers, uh, books. Mm. and other projects whatever in the in the west right so for example my pictures of otters and pasareers right. have been bought by uh, titles in saudi arabia really France. <laughs> i think one of the, the the key things i guess i've learnt uh, since coming here and being married to my wife who's uh, has background is in sort of uh, communications journalism mm. pr filmmaking that's mm. what she studied that she really helped me to understand I guess these, more the editorial side of photography mm. and storytelling mm. and you know, we worked together on some sort of blog post when I was in Africa mm. and that really was a really great experience in terms of developing my um, my skill set Right it's like interpreting what you see how you how you can try and find that connection to an audience mm. you know by telling a story mm-hmm. and I think uh, that's not specific to wildlife but if you can apply those kind of storytelling techniques to wildlife photography um, it really helps to just take that um, subject if you like into a, a more broader uh, make it make, make it appeal to a broader yeah. audience yeah. yeah rather than if it's just a something which isn't telling, a picture which isn't telling a story, isn't Mm. really, you know, saying anything, maybe, Mm. whether that's visually or, you know, creatively or what have you. Mm. But, you know, sometimes it could just be um, some action, it could be a mannerism, Mm. something of the animal that is doing, which is unique, or maybe sometimes I try and avoid taking comedy shots I used to at one point when I started out. (laughs) (laughs) Animals do some crazy stuff sometimes and it's quite funny, (laughs) you know, but... (laughs) I've since kind of...
3: stop read, doing that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: where I've been reading about, like, kind of what ethical stuff and how mm. wildlife should be portrayed in the media oh, right, as opposed to how right. it can be portrayed. And it's, That's
2: true.
1: You know, we, we we have a responsibility to not to... As a wildlife photographer, you have a responsibility not to denigrate your subject. Mm. You know, and I think that's, that's important that yeah. you actually want to... Uh, engender respect Mm. I think and and like um, maybe compassion Mm. as well rather than just some comedy thing you know and I think you can kind of write off an animal or you
2: know
3: or the importance of the message you're trying to send yeah exactly so you dedicated a good six years of your life to wildlife Hmm. photography so what kind of changes would you hope to see especially in the conservation area
1: I think it's, uh, it's quite eye-opening you know that there are so many risks mm. uh, for wildlife in the region and it's mm. you just think uh, you know I just when we moved to Paso uh last January I was just doing some you know my daughter was only a few months old and I was just finished up some filmmaking in Vietnam and mm. it was pretty for me some pretty grim stuff you know like traps and Mm. wildlife trade and mm. tcm where they have the animals in jars and mm. stuff like that so i was pretty depressed i think with the state of uh, wildlife in in vietnam I, mm. and uh i thought oh coming to pazuriz mm. it's great you know a bit of therapy wildlife <laughs> spend time with my daughter mm. and then you can't escape it you know and it's wherever you are so i think if people can be more aware yeah you know and just keep an eye out for a legal activity, mm. you know, that'd be citizen conservationists if you like mm. you know, I think you know, that would be a good thing you know, and it's uh, particularly say in the watch community that mm. people have sort of changed from just being photographers to mm. being, you know citizen conservationists yeah. by you know, helping rescue them right. etc. or um, alert the authorities
2: mm. so yeah,
1: you know, I think that's a sign of hope that you know when you know photographers take it upon themselves Mm. to to help with conservation on the ground Mm. that's really important because communities matter Mm. when it comes to conservation that's definitely what i've seen in Mm. my Mm. work abroad that Mm. if you don't engage local communities in conservation work then it's i think it's very hard Mm. to actually be successful in conservation and um the the real success stories that i've come across have involved Local communities affect they whether that's mm. you know turning former hunting communities into conservation mm. communities so that are actually guarding the forests or the mm. species or they're actively involved in restoration work of mm. habitat you mm. know rather than clearing forest and you know converting it to a aquaculture or agriculture mm.
0: right. so freelancing is actually quite a new concept in Singapore. Mm right so how um, has your perspective of freelancing changed from the day when you started freelancing till now
1: so yeah I think when I started freelancing in so I was doing IT work back in the UK Mm. so there's a lot of freelancing there Mm. and usually it's for a particular project so it's a longer term project
2: Mm.
1: I do then I moved into doing website work
2: Mm.
1: and sort of design website design and also that's project based so that can be several months
2: Mm.
1: and what I've seen happen in the last few years is like this more gig Mm. so it can be like a day or half a day two hours sometimes I get you know to do a shoot (laughs) you know maybe it's still the same for IT and website Mm. it's probably more project based but I guess it's going to depend on on your Mm. specialism Mm. you know certainly uh Stock stock photography itself is just, you know, that's just you doing something off your own bat. So that hasn't really changed, I would say, in terms of how you approach it. you have just got to come up with some concepts Mm -hmm. which you're going to sell. To assignment work. Excuse me. Assignment work. um, I'd like to see that change, I think, to international or Mm. titles looking at local talent rather than sending mm. someone from the UK all the way over to Asia to do some mm. photography mm. or from the US. I think, you know, obviously I understand that they have working relationships with certain yeah, photographers mm. and, and stuff like that, but I do mm. think uh, there's plenty of talent in, mm. in Asia, for example, mm. that uh, should be used mm. by these titles and why not, you know? Mm. Right. Thank and I you. think... Yeah. You know, and I think also local photographers need to push for it probably as well. Have mm. the confidence and belief that mm. they can do that. Mm. They don't need to travel to the to the west to, to do that work. Mm. They should, you know... Um,
0: but how do you think mm. um, local freelancers should market themselves to international clients?
1: Certainly sign up with international agencies. I mean, I think there's no barrier to entry to those Mm. you know whether it's a stock library or Mm. uh, an assignment agency
2: Mm.
1: you know like the ones that have I've I'm signed up with there's no doesn't say you've got to be UK or American Mm. it's like Mm. I don't think it matters I think you just have to take the initiative to find uh, who they are really Mm. and if you're going to do some research um, you know look at magazines that you want, or newspapers, or organisations that you want to ideally do work for, and mm. see you know, when you look at the image credits
2: yeah. oh. all right, it would yeah. usually
1: say photographer name slash, then the stock library mm. so that's what I did mm. that's how I found out about Rex for example, mm. I was like some of the guys that were getting their wildlife photography published in newspapers were going via Rex Mm. so that's what i did just you know but (laughs) uh but yeah definitely i mean i've been approached by uh, quite a well-known agency Mm. in the u.s called wonderful machine Mm. just for a particular they do there's two sides i think to their business one is specific um image requests Mm. so they'll have their client base
2: Mm. you know
1: big brands in the u.s whatever multinationals and they will have the clients will have a specific image request and mm. they'll contact various mm. people who aren't on their books, but mm. maybe in a particular region. Mm. So they wanted something in Singapore and, mm. you know, pitch something. But then the other side of their business, if you really want to do it, they you they have a, like a monthly fee of like $100 oh, okay. and they'll represent you.
2: Okay. Oh,
1: okay. Uh, but more for maybe travel, adventure, yeah. lifestyle, photography. Right. Okay animals in terms of animal portraiture maybe mm. rather than wildlife so mm. if adventure stuff is your gig then yeah definitely a good one mm. uh and lifestyles definitely i mean i think lifestyle photography around nature is a good one as well for mm. people to look at people enjoying the outdoors
3: mm. Yeah, but thank you so much, Mm -hmm. Tim, for the candid sharing. So, um, yeah, before we round out, right, just one last question that we'd like to ask you. So, if you could give one piece of advice to your younger self, right, when you're just starting out, what would you say?
1: (laughs) I think to be fearless. uh, Mm. When I was starting out, I was afraid of being judged Mm. and I was quite self-conscious maybe, mm. you know, that my work wasn't good enough mm. or I wasn't ready. I wanted mm. more time to, to make things perfect. Mm. And uh, I don't think that was necessary. Mm. Um, you just gotta go for it really, believe in yourself and see where that takes you,
2: mm.
1: you know. And once you, once you start getting stuff published and it will, you know, it will lead to other things. It's not always one big break, but it's one st- small step at a time. Yeah. And just be patient. You know, I think sometimes you get this great opportunity where something is published mm-hmm. and you expect the whole, maybe you expect the whole world to kind of sit at your feet, kind of where the expression is, but it's not like that. You can edit that one out. It's yeah. But, <laughs> you know, I think that, you know, I've had some great exposure, mm. but you can't just... Ex- let that, um, you can't sit on your laurels. Yeah. You've got to keep working yeah. hard, yeah. keep learning new skills and improving what knowledge you have, mm. you know, and it's, it's a constant thing, you know, and it's like when it comes to wildlife photography, you say, like, I did this article series about behaviour mm. and I thought I knew about behaviour mm. before I wrote it, but I tell you, I learned so much Mm. From actually writing articles, where I had to really study things in mm. more in depth, and mm. it's great. I mean, it's it just shows that you know there is still so much to learn. Mm. So to see, it's not like you're not like the end product, you're not the finished product at the beginning of your career. You're yeah. just, you know, you know, whatever the expression is you are like, the, the the seed which is going to grow into a tree. You mm. know, and you just got to give yourself some allow yourself to be watered maybe (laughs) how about that
3: (laughs) (laughs) that's great advice that's great advice but yeah
1: definitely be fearless
3: Mm -hmm. okay so everyone remember from team is to be fearless (laughs) (laughs) particularly when
1: you're facing a leopard or a bear
3: All right. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode for our Freelance Creative Exchange. Subscribe to iTunes and Spotify and leave us a review, and subscribe to our YouTube and leave a comment because we want to hear what you think. Let us know the questions or the freelancers you want to hear from. Follow us at Creatives World on Facebook and Instagram. Join us next time for a brand new episode of Freelance Creative Exchange. Until then, bye. <laughs> bye. 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 <laughs>